Let's go ahead and start away right away by going into the Word of God. In Matthew chapter 5, and that's where we're going to be in the continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. It says in Matthew 5, verse 14 through 16, it says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now there is a second illustration used. The first is that of, of light, but the second illustration is in verse 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is of no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. Now right away, something stands out to me from this portion of the Sermon of the Mount. I mean, most of Scripture is talking about God the Father, talking about Jesus Christ and about His working. It's a revelation of who He is. But these, you know, four verses or so, it's not talking about God. It's not talking about Jesus. It's talking about you. If you're a Christian, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, these verses are specifically focused on you and I. And both the illustration of the salt and the light, they deal specifically with a Christian's testimony. Now we use that word testimony or we talk about your witness and we certainly have that, that visual there of a lawyer you know, in a courtroom calling a witness to the stand, and they're called to, to, to give testimony. And basically, you know, just tell us what you saw. Tell us what you know. Don't tell us what you think. Don't tell us what you, you feel about this. You're to give firsthand testimony about what you saw. And in the same way, a Christian, we stand before the world to testify of our experience with Jesus Christ. We're to testify of forgiveness, of his love, mercy, his grace, talk about our Christian walk, and talk about purpose. And based on the evidence that our life, our testimony is, what, it, what our testimony is producing, <coughs> these will either influence the jury, which is the world watching us, to enter into a similar relationship with Jesus Christ, or at least open their heart to Jesus and pursue him, or maybe based on our testimony on the evidence of our life, it causes them to reject Christ and just see it as false. Now, while salt and light illustrate a similar lesson, you'll notice that they both come at it from different directions. When it's talking about salt... It says, and, and you know, if it's not salty, he says it can get trampled by the world. In other words, it becomes worthless. And that's kind of the world's choice to see our testimony, and maybe we're not a good testimony as a result of it. They turn away from it. They just trample on the message of Jesus Christ. But interesting, when it talks about light here, it's not the world that hides our light. It's not hidden by the world. Rather, it is a Christian who chooses to suppress 
the light. It's the Christian, the believer, it's your decision to keep it hidden. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put her on our basket, but on a lampstand. So we have a choice. Are we putting our testimony on a lampstand you know, to light the world, or are we hiding it from the world? It's, it's our choice. Now, as we continue looking at the life of Christ, we've come to the Sermon of the Mount, we're going a little bit slower as we get to this sermon here. I want to consider these two illustrations and what they specifically talk to us about. And, and again, if you have been around church very long, if you have been involved in Sunday school, vacation Bible schools, you know, these are very, very common verses to us. But I want to peel it back just a little bit more and maybe make it a little bit more personal to us because God is talking to me very specifically about what other people are seeing in my life, what other people are seeing in your life and your claim to be a Christian. So let's first consider our salt. Verse 13 again, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, <coughs> excuse me, except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. Now I know most of you, once again, you have heard numerous messages on this passage, and so you've heard a lot of illustrations about what salt does. Um, we talk about salt being a seasoning. You know, you add it to food and it gives flavor. It, uh, you know, salt helps bring the flavor out. And, and certainly you might look at it and, you know, part of being a Christian's life is, you know, to, to, to give that season to, to, to Christ and people to bring out the truth, and, and that's there. We've all heard that salt is also a preservative, um, you know, certainly back in the times of Christ. In the days before freezers and refrigerators... Whenever people would, you know, they'd, they'd pack their meats in salt, and salt would slow down the rotting process. And Christians do have that effect on the world. Often we can't stop their walk into sin, and ultimately we know things are going to get darker and darker until the end, until Jesus Christ returns. But a Christian is called certainly to slow down that deterioration. We just don't throw our hands up in the air and say, well, they're going to believe what they're going to believe. And you know, we're supposed to put the truth out there and slow down the decay. Um, you know, take the Christian's influence out of the nation, you're going to see all sorts of things happen. Prejudice, injustice, immorality, tolerance of evil, abortion is going to escalate. There's going to be a lack of consciousness. And, and that's kind of the, the Christian is kind of the consciousness of the nation. But there is a third attribute of salt. And I've actually, in the messages that I've ever heard on this, I've never heard this expressed. And maybe I think it's the most accurate picture of why he was bringing this, this illustration into this message of a testimony. The third thing is that salt creates a thirst. Salt creates a thirst. If you have ever eaten salty popcorn... You know, you know it's not very long until you need to go get something to drink. Matter of fact, your body is made to have a certain salt concentration, a certain salt balance. And so when you're sweating a lot and you get dehydrated, you know, you're, you're putting water out, it puts that balance, you know, out of whack here, and that's what makes you thirsty. It tells you you need water, you need to get it back in balance. Well, I think as Christ is talking about a Christian's testimony as opposed to the testimony that they were seeing in the Pharisees. Remember, this 
whole thing is kind of in opposition to the scribes and the Pharisees. This whole sermon is a cry to abandon dead orthodoxy that is stale and take on the righteousness of Christ, which gives life. And we're supposed to, as Christians, we're supposed to be creating a thirst for Jesus Christ. A Christian is to so live, we are so to so walk our life with Christ that it creates a thirst in those people that come in contact with us. A world that is empty and purposeless and frustrated and sinful, going through life, no real direction, you know, no real happiness, trying to find it anywhere they can. You and I must show them what true purpose is, what true fulfillment is, why we have been created, what is the meaning to life. But saltless salt, it says here, is literally like sand. It's good for nothing but to throw it out on the path. You know, help maybe dry up the water. You know, and be trampled under men. And in Christ's days, there was a lot of sand. But salt was something that was very scarce. As a matter of fact, salt was a very high commodity in the time of Jesus Christ. Some little facts uh, that I googled about salt. The word salary you know, your payment and your salary, it actually comes from an ancient Roman word that means salt money. The Roman soldiers, part of their pay was in salt uh, given to them because it was of a, of a high commodity. We have sayings like a person is, you know, worth their salt. It's because salt is tremendously valuable. And folks, the world doesn't need any more sand. The world needs salt. And there are plenty of religions of sand in our community and in our world. There are plenty of meetings that talk about God, but stir up nothing more than, you know, within an individual that they return home, return to their jobs, and they have, still have no purpose, no meaning. And so they seek that meaning from the world. Meetings where people leave their cars, you know, from church. When they get home, they, they get out of their cars and they live godless compromising. And, but a week later, they, they, they go to church once again. Folks, we don't need any more of that sand. New Carlisle, Springfield, Enon, Donaldsville, it needs salt. It needs something to create a thirst for God, for God Almighty and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. They need a reason to seek and to desire God. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. And if that salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. <clears throat> now, there's a couple questions that I kind of want to bring to the text here. Number one, how would a Christian lose their saltiness? How, how would we lose that saltiness? I mean, what could happen to our walk that would not only not create a thirst, but actually turn people off from our faith? Well, first, and probably most obvious, is when we live a hypocritical life, when I live in my life in compromise with the world. I mean, when we lose our distinction, when you and I, when we act and react just like the rest of the world, when we're unforgiving or we have pride or jealousy or, or gossip or envy, when the only thing that really differentiates you and I from the non-saved world is that we get up early on Sunday morning and we come to church, if that's our only difference, 
you know, that has a, has a tendency to not create a, a, a thirst for it. You know, a second thing that we could probably say that causes it to lose its saltiness is, is on the opposite end of the extreme, and that's legalism. You know, it's just equally as damaging. I mean, this was the issue that Christ was dealing with in his sermon. In chapter 5, verse 20, he said, <coughs> he said, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember we talked about that last week, the scribes and the Pharisees had all kinds of legalistic habits and practices, useless formulism, rituals, traditions. Folks, people don't need any more rules. They don't need any more responsibilities. They need life. And they need life more abundantly. Another question. How do you keep your saltiness as a Christian? How do you keep your saltiness? I mean, you know, I've been saved for some 45, 47 years now. I've known Christ. And, you know, like everybody, you know, things are up and down in our life. How, how, how can we, you know, when we find that we're down, how, how can we make sure that we're, we, we can get back up and, and keep creating that thirst and getting back on track? Well, once again, remember how this sermon is laid out. The beginning of the sermon starts with the Beatitudes, and again, these beatitudes of God that's telling us that we need to be, you know, hungering, or excuse me, poor in spirit and, you know, mourning, uh, you know, gentle, you know, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. These aren't just things of getting to know God and getting saved, but this is a pattern for our life. You think you, you've lost your saltiness? Maybe you think you maybe have lost your testimony. How do you get it back? How do you get it salty again? We'll go back to the Beatitudes, what God is telling us that we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be broken over our sin. We're supposed to mourn and grieve and repent. You know, we're supposed to be gentle. We're supposed to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're to show mercy and have a purity in our heart. We're to be peacemakers. These are all things. Right off of those, he comes and he says, then let your light shine. This is the light that he's talking about. The, 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 these, these beatitudes that, that he's given us here. Another interesting thing I found out about the salt here, um, go very quickly with me. We're going to go to Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13 here. Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13, and we, we've got it up on the screen for you. It says there, Every grain offering of yours, moreover, you shall season with salt, so that the salt of the covenant of your God shall not be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Second Chronicles chapter 13, verse 5 says, Do you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the rule over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt? In the book of Numbers, chapter 18, it speaks about, once again, about that covenant of salt. We don't talk about, you know, when we talk about the sacrifices, we don't talk too much about salt. But it says any sacrifice that's supposed to be offered, even a grain offering. I mean, you're bringing your wheat. They, you know, you got to have the salt that's involved in this. What, what, is, what, what is it trying to say there? Why is salt so essential? Well, think about this. When we come to the New Testament, and we come to verses like Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where it says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. 
So it uses all of those sacrifices, those, those pictures of the Old Testament, and it calls upon you and I, if we know Christ is our Savior, that we're to take our lives and put it on the altar of God, offer it unto him. But whenever you bring an offering, what does the Old Testament say? Remember the salt. So what is the salt? It goes on in Romans 12, 2. It says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the salt. Not our confirmation being confirmed, you know, conformed to the world, but being transformed, being different, changing our mind, our thought process, that we might prove that we might show and demonstrate to the world, that we might be a testimony, that we might be a witness, you know, of, of God's perfect and good will and his son, Jesus Christ. You know, this is the call for all believers to lay their lives down before God, offer them up to be used of God. And when you do this, and we, you know, I've given my life to Christ, don't forget the salt. Don't forget the salt that, that, that creates a thirst in other people's lives. An offering of ourselves to be used to, to preserve, to stop writing, uh, uh, deterioration, but also to create a thirst in those around us for the true righteousness, the life that God is offering. Now I want to move to the, the second illustration here. And, and this appeal is not only to have a thirst-producing testimony, but we're supposed to use it. You know, we're supposed to be proactive in our testimony. Again, let me read the verses for us. In Matthew chapter <coughs> 5, it says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now let me make some observations about light here. Number one, the darker your surroundings, the easier it is for light to work. Now, you guys know I have a lot of grandchildren, and grand, my grandkids, little kids, they just love flashlights. But I see them walking around with a flashlight in the middle of the day, you know, and I'm thinking, you're just wasting batteries, you know, because there's already light there. But you turn the light out, when it comes to night, suddenly, that's when the flashlight comes alive. And I know no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what persecution we're going at, whether it's at work, whether it's in our home, whatever struggle, whether it's physical, you know, whether it's emotional, whatever that struggle is, it might appear dark, but in the midst of the darkness is when the light can shine. And, you know, we, we kind of bemoan and we shudder at the slipping of the moral compromise of our of our nation, and certainly it sickens me to see, you know, the empty denominations that are claiming the name of Christ, but one thing I do know, the worse and worse it gets around us, the greater testimony that you and I can be for Jesus Christ and to point them, it's, it becomes that much easier for the light to shine. Every mistreatment you receive is an opportunity to let Christ's light shine through you, to be like Christ. Another observation, if you've ever flown on an airplane at night and you kind of look down at the window at the world below, you're way up there in the sky. And, and one thing it, it's interesting, when you're way, you can tell when you're way out in the country because you can't see any light down there. But you know there's light, 
You know, there's some farmer down there, he's got his yard light on or something like that, but it's, it's hard to distinguish one little light, you know, from that distance. But suddenly you fly over a city, and suddenly the, the accumulation of all of those lights, and, and suddenly they come together. Suddenly it's easy to see a city that is, that is lit up. And folks, I think that's where the church comes in here. We as a church, as, as God's people, you know, as a church family, we are one great light composed of all these individual lights. We can have a greater impact together as we come together in the name of Jesus Christ and we serve him. That's why the church is so important because we, we are that, that massive light on a hill shining for Jesus Christ. And finally, the direction of the light must always point to God. It says there in verse 16, let your light shine before men, but do it in such a way that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Make sure your testimony doesn't draw people to you. You know, to think about you and what a good person you are and, and how helpful you are, how nice you are. And, and that's all great that they think that. I mean, obviously, you, you, we want them to think that. But, but ultimately, they, we need to be pointing them to Jesus Christ. I mean, chapter 6 and 7, it's going to deal with religiosity, you know, that, that, that lives to be seen of men when it talks about praying on street corners to receive our reward and to see, receive glory. But we come here day in and day out. Day in and day out, we serve in our homes, Jesus Christ, to let the light shine on him, not to let the light shine upon our lives. And so very simply, you know, a couple questions from these illustrations I put out to you. Number one, on the salt. Are you making anyone thirsty for God? Is there anyone in your life that just by observing you, by talking with you, by interacting with you, is causing them to ask about the hope that is within you? That you are different? And what is it that makes you different? Are you creating a thirst in anyone around you? And finally, concerning light, is our life putting a spotlight on Jesus Christ? Does my life point to my Savior. Let's pray. Father God, I so thank you for these truths, Lord. Simple, but Father, earth-shaking and a reminder to me, Lord, that you have saved me for a purpose. You have saved me to be salt, to be light. Father, to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, to be ambassadors for your name. And Lord, I pray for our church, our church family here, that we can be an encouragement to one another, that when we struggle, when we fall, Father, that we are lifting one another up. I pray, Lord, that you will help us this week, this day, to go out and, and be reminded that why we are here, that why you saved us is to make someone else thirsty for your kingdom. We give that power to you. We give that focus to you, Lord, to you work in our lives as only you can. I just thank you, Father, that you choose to use broken vessels like us to put forth your name. Thank you. In thy son's name we pray. Amen.